is happening now. We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Elliot Tepper is going to join us and talk about what is going on along the uh, Ukraine-Russian border as uh, things are developing quite quickly and uh, lots of concern about what could uh, happen in the next 24, 72 hours or such. Let's bring in Elliot Tepper. Lucky enough to have him uh, for a couple of segments here. Uh, Political Science, Carleton University, and with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, thank you. And same to you, Scott. So uh, give us a bit of an update here, Elliot. I know this is moving pretty quickly. Yesterday, uh, Russia was talking that it was supporting two breakaway regions um, and and uh, and obviously uh, going to support their actions to a breakaway from Ukraine. But what is the chance that this will turn into a full takeover of Ukraine by Russia? Uh, Biden says that it looks like it's imminent. Yes, and that's the most recent update from the White House. Is it's, they keep saying this, it looks imminent. The reality is that this is entirely in the hands and the mind of one person, of uh, Mr. Putin, because he has all the tools in his possession now to do what he wants. The question is, what does he want? What we do know is that uh, in 2014, he did, in fact, dismember Ukraine. We know that he's long thought that Ukraine was not, but we should go back to 2014, that's when he took uh, Crimea and also broke away two pieces on little green men. And under disguise, he broke away two pieces of of Ukraine, which we now call in in the Donbass, which these two breakaway republics, he's just recognized as sovereign states. And we can come back to that. The question is, what does he want? And we aren't sure of that. Do you think uh, Biden... uh uh, has any recourse at this point? Uh, the president has already said he will not go in there militarily because it's not a NATO country. Are threats and sanctions enough? Uh, because re- really, I guess what it sounds like is Biden says, we're not going to stop you. Yes, this is a this is the crux of the issue is that for Russia, and Mr. Putin in particular, uh, Ukraine is a core issue for the United States. It's just one issue far away. It's not central. Uh, at the moment, it's not considered central to American or NATO, therefore Western and therefore our interests, Canadian interests as well. However, if uh, Mr. Putin really just wants to dismantle you, I shouldn't say just, if he proceeds to dismantle Ukraine as part of a historic mission uh, to take uh, back into Russia what he considers to be not a real state at all, he has never recognized Ukraine other than you know, technically, he's never seen Ukraine as a, a real state. He said so. It's a phantom state. It's really little Russia. And uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of Russian speakers there, and he thinks that he should protect them. He's broken away these, these two pieces. Now he's recognized them as part of uh, you know, separate uh, states. And here's to update ourselves. Those two sovereign people's republics have now put in writing that they want to they need Russian help and protection against Ukraine. So there's a flashpoint now on the border. We don't know, however, if that's the end of, I, I hate to even put it this way, would subjugating Ukraine be sufficient for his legacy, for his vision of what Russia ought to be? Or does he want to do, as he said, roll back the entire post-Cold War order, going back to 1989, removing about half of the states, uh, that are currently NATO members from being NATO members, would he continue to just roll right into the Baltics, for example? 
So NATO is being built up, but the U.S. has made it clear it's not going to put troops on the ground. If uh, and therefore, ultimately, if push comes to shove and push is coming to shove, Ukraine really, unfortunately, is on its own. So what are the allies providing? Are they just, you know, sort of stocking up those NATO allies that are in and around Ukraine? The neighboring states, uh, the NATO allies in that region are doing two things. One is they are transferring some actual military personnel uh, to Ukraine out of their own stores, but they're also now receiving additional support from particularly the United States. And the U.S. is always going to be the one to do the heavy lifting in terms of providing lethal military support. Canada has been criticized. Why don't we do more now? We are doing some, but it's really up to the U.S. And the U.S. is really beefing up its uh, support for the NATO allies in the region to be sure that this won't just spin out of control if something, if something does happen in Ukraine. Of course, my concern is that we are in a situation where things could spin out of control. Uh, wars don't go as planned. Plans don't go as planned. I, it looks very carefully orchestrated by Mr. Putin. He seems to know what he's doing and what he wants. We don't. But uh, he seems to want to basically dismantle Ukraine and be sure it never becomes a democratic state on his border uh, aligned with the West. But uh, after that, we don't know what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, and what does that mean for the region. And, and like you mentioned, what does that say for the rest of uh, uh, of those neighboring states if, if all of a sudden he decides he's going to walk in and, and take Ukraine? Why not the rest of them? Uh, does Ukraine even have a chance here, Elliot? I mean, even with this fortification from allies, uh, you know, into the NATO states and, states and such, does, does Ukraine stand a chance if Russia decides it wants to take it? Well, Russia will not act uh, just in the old-fashioned and traditional sense of moving its military. The, yeah. um, it will definitely use hybrid warfare. We're seeing already that there's cyber attacks on massive cyber attacks. There's disinformation campaigns. So there would be a multiple-pronged uh, approach to weakening and taking out Ukraine. Can Ukraine do something about it? Whereas uh, Biden does not want any American troops in there. It looks as if uh, Mr. Putin also would not like to have a lot of body bags being brought home from uh, as part of a Ukrainian resistance. Canada, by the way, one of the things we did, and we got criticized, is we did the training of some of the some of the troops there, so they could, in, in fact, increase the cost. National emergency has been declared across Ukraine now. So the, why not for the why not Ukraine just join NATO? Then they'll get the help from allies. I know it's not <laughs> that easy, but what can you explain to us? Yes, uh, this is actually perhaps the proximate trigger. The long-term goal of Mr. Putin all along apparently has been: uh, we're not going to let a democratic consolidation on our border in Ukraine take hold, and we're not going to let NATO forces be at our border in Ukraine. Any any further encroachment would be a threat to us. So the um, <laughs> Ukraine said uh, and did so by putting people in the streets and overthrowing Yanukovych over in 2014, overthrowing the pro-Russian, um, wasn't exactly a puppet regime, but a pro-Russian regime. The people of Ukraine said, no, we want to move closer to the West. They took to the streets to do it. But uh, there's a long process for becoming an actual formal member of NATO. Uh, Ukraine is a long way from meeting all the criteria. They were working mm. on that. And one of the things that Mr. Putin is doing 
is being sure that uh, Ukraine is so distracted that even if he does nothing else, and, I, and we, we think he probably will, um, they're not going, NATO is not going to be immediately in Ukraine's future. That's been made clear to, um, that's been made clear mm-hmm. by the West, but the West is not going to say, hey, look, we, we're not, we can't close the door if states want to apply and they meet our criteria. That's an open door for NATO. And nobody's, nobody's going to tell us which states can and cannot join NATO. So it gets complicated in that fashion. Elliot, uh, at the beginning of this conversation, uh, not our conversation, but the the discussion along the border, uh, Germany's been kind of quiet about it all because they've got a twin to pipeline there to bring energy from Russia into Germany. But now they've done something quite dramatic and spoke up and said, we're going to we're going to shut this. It's, it's I guess it's built, but it's not running yet. Uh, they're going to put this on hold. What's the significance of that in that pipeline? Yes, they're suspending it, putting it on hold is correct, not uh, canceling it. Well, when the, when this action just happened in terms of, the, uh, of Ukraine and the, and the Donbass, Biden announced, and he's put together an international coalition, including us, and we paralleled this announcement, that there's going to be an escalating series of sanctions. If you do this much, we're going to put one tranche. If you do more, it's going to get more and more painful. One of the surprises was that, that in this initial announcement, uh, Germany did something that we're very coy about doing. Uh, new Chancellor Schultz was in Washington not long ago, and he wouldn't say, we're going to suspend this, uh, this pipeline. So what is this pipeline? Right now, uh, and this is something that's easy for us to overlook, there's a greater interdependence between Europe in all kinds of ways and Russia in all kinds of ways, and the supply of natural gas in the middle of winter is uh, critically important to uh, not just Germany, but primarily Germany and then other states. What's happened now is that a uh, pipeline, Nord Stream 1, has been carrying that gas to Europe. It goes through Ukraine and it goes through Poland and they get transit fees. They get a lot of, they get billions of dollars out of that over time. And Russia has a contract to do that by bypassing by going under the sea in the Baltics and then popping back up off Germany, you can bypass that with a, a Nord Stream 2, a separate way to deliver. And the fact that this has now been suspended by um, Germany, I suspect it was all part of the package of sanctions when the U.S. pointed out, I suspect, to Germany that once these sanctions affect, Gazprom, can't, the, the Russian gas agency won't be able to do the financing they have to do, you're going to be cut off anyway, so why don't you cut it off now? But it's an important symbolic step that the most powerful state in Europe has now joined in very early this uh, tranche of sanctions. Will that hurt Germany more than it will hurt Russia? There's some concern by that, and uh, we should probably talk a bit about how much of this does circulate around oil and gas. What we know is that Russia has not succeeded in diversifying its economy. That's been called a, a nuclear-armed gas station. So the, the, uh, the, their primary source of income is selling what they have, their natural resources, which they've not diversified away from successfully so far. They've got a lot of other natural resources. So what is happening right now is that the U.S. is, is saying, we will help fill the gap, Europe, don't worry about it. I think there's reason for Europe to be curious how they're going to do that with the LNG and other supplies. But one thing that has not gotten a lot of attention because we're talking about sanctions is that the sanctions 
have long been anticipated by Russia. Will it hurt them? They've been planning for this because the West has been announcing these sanctions all along. But February 4th, when Mr. Putin went to the Olympics, had a bilateral four-hour meeting with Xi Jinping, and mm-hmm. Xi Jinping announced that, uh, yes, a new deal has been announced. Not only in 2014 did China arrange, under good terms, buying more and more of, of the gas and oil out of Russia, but now they're going to buy a whole lot more. So the sanctions squeeze on Russia in terms of closing off, in this case, Nord Stream 2, uh, they, they've got a, a, a mm. back door to get out of those sanctions through China. They have to build a new pipeline through Kazakhstan to do it, but, but um, they've been planning on this. We got about a minute left here, Elliot. Uh, if Ukraine does fall to Russia and Russia goes and takes the entire state, what is the fallout? What is the repercussion for the rest of the world? Let's start at the top. It's a great loss uh, for the people of Ukraine, for people who wish a democratic uh, emerging uh, country, 30 years now of independence. Uh, We wish them well. It's a humanitarian crisis. It's a blow against the the global struggle between democracy and autocracy. Autocracy wins. Uh, We just talked about China. China is going to take now another look at Taiwan, perhaps, saying, well, we too have a historic goal to achieve. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have a leader in power there, Xi Jinping, who might want to be like Mr. Putin and say, I'm fulfilling our destiny. There's an enormous implications if a free and democratic society can be invaded and uh, removed from, from its own volition, be basically moved from the map as a sovereign state. And that's a loss for everybody. Wow. Uh, we'll be watching. Elliot Tepper with us, political science, uh, his expertise and uh, from Carleton University. Uh, Elliot, as always, thanks so much for the time. Thank you for spending so much time with us today. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. And, and to you and everyone else. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.